That's a good morning. Amen. As I was coming on stage, the lady turned and looked at me and said, you got to bring it now. No pressure there. It's kind of like, don't blow it at this point. So uh, anyway, praise God. There are those moments, worship is always special. There are those moments where it's almost like you get in on a little bit of what's happening in heaven. And man, that's good. So this morning we are talking about competition. And specifically competition against our relationship with God. In the dictionary, it uses a number of terms to go along with competition. These are some of those words. Rivalry, opposition, battle, contention, and conflict. Those are great words to keep in mind because when you pursue relationship with God, there is going to be opposition. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be many times an ongoing, daily, sometimes moment-by-moment battle between what is good versus all of those things that seem urgent and important and loud. It's always going to be a battle. So let's take a moment and kind of set this idea up. If you've been a Christian for more than maybe about a month, chances are you have had a moment like this where you're in all sincerity, you'll say, Starting tomorrow, I'm going to spend time with God every day in prayer and in the study of his word. How many times have you done that in your life? There you go. There's a lot of hands going up. And you are sincere when you say it. You mean it with all of your heart. Starting tomorrow, it is going to happen. So you make a plan. You, you talk about your alarm. I've got to make sure to set my alarm. I've got to make sure that I get some coffee. I've got to make sure to have a good quiet spot that I can just get along with Jesus. And in your mind, you can already see what's going to happen. The glory of God is going to fall tomorrow morning. It's going to be incredible. And you just cannot wait. And the next morning, you wake up 30 minutes late because your alarm didn't go off. And that's really weird because you know you set your alarm the night before. And you walk into the kitchen, and you discover there's no coffee. And you got to talk yourself down a little bit. God's still on his throne. You make a cup of tea. And you realize why so few people brag about their morning tea. It's, it's tolerable at best. And that might even be a stretch. So you're kind of working through your tea, and all of a sudden, two of your kids show up in the room. Like, what are they doing up? They don't get up for another hour from now, and yet they're in the room. And you're thinking about them being in the room when a flash goes past you, and it's your cat, and it's running for its life. And right behind it is your 14-year-old dog who has not had energy in seven years, and it's in hot pursuit. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, this is my life. And you're contemplating those things when a text comes in. It's Aunt Sue, and she has a surprise. The whole gang is in town, and they thought it'd be a real hoot just to show up for breakfast this morning. They'll be here in 30 minutes. So you're scrambling around your house, and and you're picking up dirty dishes, and you're picking up dirty socks, and you're trying to get your cat out of the curtains, and, and you're telling your kids, just go put on clothes. I don't care if they match, just put on clothes. And the doorbell rings. They made it in 20 minutes. And people you haven't seen since Noah's Ark come filing into your house. 
And it's about that moment that you tell yourself, starting tomorrow, I'm going to spend time with God every day reading his Bible and also being in prayer. Now, if you identify with that, guess what happens tomorrow? Brand new day, brand new distractions. Now, here's your glimmer of hope. It's not just you. And that's not a great glimmer of hope. I I said it was a glimmer. I didn't say it was a lot of hope. It's just, it's not just you. Everyone who desires to pursue Christ relationally is going to deal with distractions. Everyone is going to face opposition and competition. There is a spiritual battle that is going on all around us. The enemy knows that his only hope is to distract you and discourage you and to drain you and to deceive you long enough so that you'll stop. He knows everything that God will do in and through your life. He's going to accomplish out of the overflow of that relationship. And he will do everything possible to keep you away from spending time alone with God. And he has an arsenal of distractors at his fingertips. It may be unforeseen circumstances, or it might be our careers, or our hobbies, or our relationships. It it could be that he uses misplaced priorities, or struggles with sin, or maybe the love of money, or any number of other things in order to keep us away from that relationship with God. When you pursue relationship, there's going to be opposition. And many times that struggle is not between good and bad. It is between good and best. So how do we mentally prepare ourselves for this battle? What are some hidden competitors, some hidden distractors that are currently interfering with your relationship with God? Another question that we're going to ask and answer today is what can we do to be proactive, to limit those distractions? and to deeply pursue this relationship with God. We have a lot that we're covering this morning, so I invite you today to go with me again in your Bibles to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. I'm speaking today on the subject of the competition of relationship. We are studying what it looks like to have a deep, intimate, vibrant relationship with God. And for each of the weeks in this series, five weeks altogether, we are in the exact same text. We're just coming at the text from a different angle. And we're wanting to see another facet of this relationship with God, how it is that we can grow in this walk with him. So this time, let's read the text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that even at this moment that you would help us identify distractions in our life. 
the enemy is doing everything possible to keep people focused on anything other than a close relationship with you. So Lord, I pray today that the schemes of the enemy would be made clear, that there would be intentionality in each heart of believers in this room, those who are watching online, that we desire you more than anything else. And we are willing for you to come through our life and many times remove the very things that are interfering with that closer walk with you. God, that's going to hurt in some ways. In other ways, it'll bring joy. Ultimately, it'll be for our good and for your glory. So God, do your work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a few moments and reestablish, I guess, some of the key concepts from the last several weeks. On week number one, we asked the question, what are we trying to achieve in the relationship? And we found that the goal of the relationship is to know Christ. The goal is not Bible knowledge. The goal is not behavior modification. The goal is not religious activity. The goal is to know Christ. And the goal we set is often the target that we hit. On week number two, we asked the question, why are we in the relationship at all? And we found that our motivation when entering relationship may unintentionally determine the extent of that relationship. God will use certain motivating factors to get our attention, but ultimately the gospel must become our motivation. On week number three, we asked the question, what defines our relationship with God? And we discovered that our relationship with God is defined by love and made possible only by the righteousness of Christ. That is important because it is the nature of the relationship that determines our conduct within the relationship. So for three weeks now, we have been stacking relational truths like cordwood. We have been working our way through the ideas of what it looks like to have a strong relationship with God. We've identified the goal. We've identified the motivation. We've even identified the nature of the relationship. The goal tells us what we're trying to accomplish. The motivation provides our incentive to accomplish the goal, and the nature establishes our parameters as we pursue him. So today, we're talking about competition. And here's our question. What competes with or interferes with our relationship? It's important to identify anything that might be standing in the way of a closer walk with God. If I were to tell you that there is a briar patch between you and acquiring a million dollars, most of us would figure out a way around the briar patch. We'd figure out a way to remove the briar patch. We would figure out whatever needs to be done because we're trying to acquire something that is greater. In the same way, it is important that we look right now and say, what are the things that are interfering with, are standing in the way of, are a barrier to a closer relationship with Christ? And as we identify these things, the goal is not only to identify and say, yeah, that's a problem. The goal is to identify and say, God, give me the ability to remove what is interfering with my walk with you so that I might obtain something greater on the other side. So we're working through our question with two progressive truths this morning. Here's truth number one. Competition is anything that interferes with or takes precedence over our relationship with God. It's anything that interferes with. Now, it would take me a month of Sundays to walk through an exhaustive list of everything that can interfere with our relationship with God. 
but I do think it's important that we take a little bit of time to at least bring out a few of the bigger concerns. These are some of the more common ones that get in the way of a person's walk with God. I think it's good because you might go through this list and you might recognize, yes, that's an issue in my life right now. Okay, so here's just a few of those. Our big blanket category here is sin can interfere with and take precedence over our relationship with God. Now, these are not in your notes. These are just ideas. Uh, Sin is one word that has many manifestations. Another one here is maybe the love of money or the love of abundance or the love of power can interfere with or take precedence over our relationship with God. Other relationships can get in the way of our relationship with God. You might know someone who maybe at one point in their life, they were passionately pursuing Jesus and they started hanging around with the wrong crowd or they started hanging around with somebody who was not a believer or dating somebody who's not a believer and now they're completely absent from all Christian community. FBI couldn't find them. They're they're gone. They're off the radar. And it's not just hanging around maybe some people who are not believers. Did you know hanging around certain believers can interfere with your relationship with God? You hang around the wrong crowd long enough of dead believers, and here's a prediction that I will make. You will not warm them up, but they will cool you down. Sometimes certain believers will suck the vibrancy out of your walk with God. Our routines, our choices, careers, hobbies, schedules, personal ambitions. Oh, and watch this last category I'm about to throw out. Church activities. Yeah, I'm meddling this morning. Sometimes our church activities can get in the way of a vibrant relationship with God. Now, that doesn't even include how self-sufficiency, people-pleasing, misplaced affections, unwillingness to leave the past in the past, dealing with anxiety or discouragement, jealousy, glory-seeking. There's so many distractions that they get in the way of our walk with God. So in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he lists eight competitors to relationship. In fact, these begin up in verse number 2. He starts with false teachers in verse number 2. And he talks about overconfidence in the flesh, verses 3 and 4. Personal heritage and religious practice, verse number 5. Self-righteousness and misplaced zeal and good intentions in verse number 6. And then he gives the blanket whatever category in verse number 7. That is, whatever things were gained to me, I now count as loss. With the exception of verse number two, when talking about false teachers, which he referred to as dogs, evil workers, and the false circumcision. With the exception of that group, all of the other categories that he mentioned are ones that took precedence in his life that he pursued over this right relationship with God. In fact, he chased those things instead of relationship. He thought those things might make him right with God. And now as he looks back on those things in verse number 7, he says all of those things he has counted as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Now remember that word loss is an accounting term. It is a negative. Instead of those things taking him closer to God, they were actually moving him further away from this right relationship. And if you look at that list, primarily verses 3 through 7, you will note that the majority of those things are religious distractions. Now, we got to camp out here for a moment. Religious distractions can be easy 
to justify. When you're serving God, and it might be through being a greeter, being a deacon, serving on a praise team. It might be that you're a Sunday school teacher. Here it is. It might be that you're preaching a message behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning. Whatever those things are can become easy to justify as taking precedence over a close walk with God. So many times people will say at that moment, it's just busy right now. I've got to do this. So many people are counting on me. And if I don't do this, then there's going to be people let down. And it's so easy to begin to shift in religious activity and put it in the place of your personal walk with God. Here's just a thought. If you've not been alone with him, you don't have anything to give to somebody else. It's the overflow of an intimate relationship with God. You might serve, you might be in the position, but ultimately for it to have that kingdom impact, that eternal difference, it has to flow out of that activity of you sitting alone with God. Sometimes it's a lot easier to do something for God than it is to just sit and be alone in his presence. Sometimes our actions are based on misplaced identity and a desire for personal recognition. I said I was already meddling, let's go further. When you spend time with God, no one other than you and God knows what you've just done. There's nobody who comes in and pats you on the back right when you finish your prayer list. There's nobody who comes in and claps for you when you finish reading the Bible. It's you and God. But sometimes when you're serving, other people say, man, that's a really good man of God. That's a great woman of God. They're always serving. And here's what happens. If we're not careful, our identity gets taken up in our service. And our reward is the recognition of other people. All of, there's nothing wrong with serving God. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with loving the opportunity to serve him. The issue becomes allowing that place of service to take priority over your personal, intimate walk with God. So, here's a couple of thoughts as we go forward from here. And that is, God did not call us first to service. He called us first to intimacy. Service is what God does out of the overflow of an intimate relationship. Great passage to remember in this, Mark chapter 3, when Jesus was calling the 12 disciples to himself. It says in verse 14, and he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and that he would send them out to preach. Their job was to be with him. His job was to send them out when the time was right. Service flows out of relationship. So here's our key truth again. Competition is anything that interferes with or takes precedence over our relationship with God. That is anything. And since anything includes unforeseen circumstances, it includes other relationships, it includes things like besetting sins, it, it includes anything, because of that, 
It can be easy to blame everyone and everything if we lack depth in our walk with God. We just start making excuses. We say things like, God, there's just too many distractions in my life. It's hard to focus. It's not my fault. Or we say, God, it's the people that are around me. They are a bad influence. It's their fault. Or here's a tried and true favorite. God, the devil made me do it. Hey, I am not going to say for a moment the devil is not bad, the devil is not evil, and the devil will not use demonic influences in your life. But I think there's sometimes the devil's getting blamed on stuff he had nothing to do with. You stay up till 2 a.m. binge-watching Netflix and you can't get up and spend time with God, don't blame the devil on that. The devil was in bed. I'm, I'm kidding. Do not email me. Do not email me. Somebody's like, Paul, you got bad theology. I'm joking. I'm joking. As believers, we can't blame everyone and everything if our relationship with God is shallow and suffering. God has done everything to make sure we can have a close walk with him. He made you for relationship. He redeemed you for relationship. And he gave you everything you need to pursue him relationally. He gives access to him in prayer, understanding through his spirit and through his word, an invitation to boldly come before the throne of grace. He has given us new eyes to see. He's given us new ears to hear. He's given us a new heart to love. He has given us a new passion to pursue. He has given us new power to obey. He has given us new grace to endure. He has given us everything we need to have a close and vibrant walk with him. He's done it all. So since I'm already meddling this morning, let's go further. We know as much about God today as we want to know. Here's a twist on that. We are as close to God today as we want to be. That now leads into our second key truth. We must prioritize our relationship with God and value him above everything else. Now, we've already addressed a number of distractors, competitors, things that interfere with our relationship with God. And remember, competition is anything that interferes with or takes precedence over that relationship. But I want us to finish for just a moment by talking about things that we can do to be proactive. What are some different things that we can do to limit the distractions or, for that matter, to go deeper in our walk with God? What are some of those things? Well, if you are competing at anything, whether or not it is for grades or for jobs or at sports, if you're competing with anything... There's always preparation, and there's always a plan that has to be in place. The same is true when you're competing against the enemy when it comes to this relationship with God. That is, to compete spiritually, there has to be a plan. There has to be a strategy. And a part of that is you have to prioritize God above everything and everyone else. Now, we're going to be really, really practical here. That is, we don't all have the same jobs, we don't all have the same schedules, we don't all have the same amount of Bible knowledge, but we do all have the same amount of time in a day. The amount of time we have in a day does not differ from one person to the next. The reason I bring that up is we will never find time to be with God. You have to make time to be with God. And that has to come because of values 
and priorities. In verse number 8, the Apostle Paul spoke of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Uh, Surpassing value, it speaks of greater value, exceptional value, superior value. He's saying knowing Jesus is far greater than anything else in his life. He's saying, I value him, and I value knowing him more than I value anything else. He is my highest priority. For the Apostle Paul, knowing Jesus was a priority based upon what he valued. Jesus and knowing him is the surpassing, the greater, the exceptional value. So track with me for just a moment. Every decision that you make to do something, to buy something, or to pursue something, is also a decision not to do something else, not to buy something else, or not to pursue something else. We all have a limited amount of time and resources and mental bandwidth within our lives. We can't do everything. We can't be everywhere. We cannot focus on everything. So we make choices. And those choices are made on our priorities and our values. We do what's important to us. If having your children involved in sports teams is important for you, you will find time for that. If spending time with God, reading his word is important for you, you will find time. You you, you just begin to carve it out of something else. If eating is important to you, and it is to me, I guarantee you I find time to eat. There's people I talk to that they're like, I forgot to eat lunch. I've never had that in my life. (laughs) I might have missed a couple of lunches. I did not forget about it. I I prioritize my meals. I I like to eat. So here's the thing. If you wake up early to spend time with God, you're also making a decision to get less sleep. A decision in one way is a decision away from something else. If you make a decision to store up treasures in heaven, you are simultaneously making a decision not to store up treasures here on earth. If you make a decision to experience deep biblical community, you are also making a decision not to live in isolation. Every step towards him is a step away from something else. And every step, whether it's towards him or away from him, is based upon our values and based upon our priorities. So Paul's values and his priorities changed when he met Christ. Our values and our priorities should change when we meet Christ. So in this, he basically has made this entire list. He said, everything, whatever I considered gain before, I now count as loss. What is he saying? He's saying, I value Jesus more than that. I value knowing him more than those other things. That He is now pursuing something different based upon his values and his priorities. Many of you have heard this illustration before, but I think it's one that perfectly sums up this particular concept. It's the illustration, the story of a teacher who's in a classroom, students all in the classroom, and the teacher takes this glass jar and pours rocks into the jar, fills it all the way up to the top, and asks the students, is the jar filled? And they say yes. And then the teacher takes some smaller pebbles and pours them in, and it goes all around the bigger rocks, and it fills all the way to the top. And ask again, is the jar filled? They said yes. 
Then the teacher takes some sand and pours the sand in. It goes around the big rocks and around the pebbles and fills in all the crevices and goes up to the top. And the teacher asks again, is the jar filled? And they said, yes, it's, it's absolutely filled. And then the teacher takes water and pours it in on top of the sand, on top of the pebbles, on top of the bigger rocks. And it goes all the way up to the top. And the teacher asks the question, is it filled? And hesitantly, they say, I think so. And then the teacher says, what's the lesson? And somebody says, there's always more room in the jar. And she said, no, the lesson is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in later. Pursuing Jesus is the big rock of our lives. It's not that we cannot pursue other things, but if that peace is not in place first, your life will never bring the fulfillment, the joy, the contentment, the passion that God has intended for it to have. That has to be the first thing. So spending time with God is huge. It's a part of how we grow in our relationship with him. And for us to spend that time, we have to prioritize him above everything else. So in Philippians 3, the apostle Paul has evaluated what matters most to him. He's concluded knowing Christ is the surpassing value. Knowing Christ is the exceptional value. Knowing Christ is the ultimate thing that he can do. So here's my question. What matters most to you? How, how, if you're honest before God, what matters most to you? There is nothing wrong with loving your career, loving your family, loving your hobbies. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with making money. Nothing wrong with getting good grades. Nothing wrong with serving others. But those things just cannot be number one in your life. They always have to come in behind knowing Christ. Anything we put before God becomes competition for the relationship and it interferes with our intimacy with Christ. Anything we put before him can become an idol in our lives. And God has a way of shaking our lives and loosening our grip and opening our hands to remove anything we're holding on to more than we're holding on to him. And that can be a painful process. He doesn't do it because he's mad. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he made us. He does it because he knows what we need in order to be deeply fulfilled. He, he does it because he knows what's best, and he also does it because he knows where those other things will lead on the other side. So he keeps coming after us. He's like, spend time with me. Prioritize me. Get to know me. I'm here. That's good, but it's not as good as me. He, he keeps coming in a loving, in a gracious in a wonderful way. One of the things that God revealed to me a number of years ago is even when he was prying my hands open, I could look back and see how merciful 
he had been through the process. Did you know, as best I can tell, there's nothing he had to pry my hands open that he had not prompted me months and even years in advance to release to him. Where I come from, they talk about taking somebody out behind the woodshed. Sometimes you get worn out a little bit. I'm going to tell you, there's some times that God has taken me behind the woodshed in order to discipline not out of anger, but because I was holding on to something that was not his best in my life. So what is that primary, most incredible thing in your life today? What are you holding on to that might be interfering with a closer, more intimate walk with God? Last question. Are you allowing things to interfere with a relationship. Consider a statement I gave a few moments ago. We are as close to God today as we want to be. We know as much about God today as we want to know. How well do you want to know him? How close do you want to be? What is competing right now with your relationship with God? I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow your heads for just a moment. I want our invitation time today to be a little bit different than maybe what I've done in the past. I want our invitation time to be one where people have a moment of silent reflection, a moment of time with God that they're able to pray about and ask God to clarify anything that might be standing in the way of that relationship. So I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow your heads wherever you might be. This is a time for you and God. Ask God, just in the silence of this moment, as the praise band is coming, they're, they're getting in place, that's the noise you hear around you right now. There's going to be pastors that are going to be on the end of each of these aisles. That's standard. That's, that's what happens week after week. But I'm going to ask you to take a few moments and say, God, would you give me clarity about anything that I'm holding on to more than I'm holding on to you? Ask God to help you to see anything that is interfering with your relationship with him. Is it your career? Is it hobbies? Is there a sin that's in your life right now? Whatever that might be, if God brings something to mind, I encourage you today don't just recognize it. Ask God to remove it. Ask God to help you reestablish priorities with him in that number one spot. We're going to have a song of invitation here in just a moment. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, allow God to continue to work in your heart at this time. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would help us to see anything that is interfering, anything that is standing in the way of our walk with you. We recognize, God, that even good things can sometimes get in the way. It's not that the things themselves are wrong, and it's not that they can't be a blessing sent directly from you. But even with our blessings, we have to understand our priorities. So, Lord, I pray today for those who there's about to be a, a 
a spiritual breakthrough that happens in their life. There's about to be this unbelievable just run of growth and depth. And there's just one or two things that are standing in the way of that. God, I pray that you give people courage today to release to you what they will be glad they have released three years from now, 20 years from now, and absolutely in eternity. God will be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?